So there was a woman who went to um, the Rebbe, and she was an older woman, and she saw the Rebbe on Sunday, the Rebbe would give out dollars to, for people to give to charity. And the Rebbe sometimes would stand there for eight hours straight, giving out dollars. I know, just, just moving your hand like this, even now, right? Not, not, not 80 years old. Just doing that, you get tired. So she asked the Rebbe, like, how is it possible you have to stand on this line on, on giving out dollars such a long time, eight hours straight? Like, how do you do it? So the Rebbe responded, that when you count diamonds, you don't get tired. That's what the Rebbe responded. The question is, if you were uh, an employee, someone in someone's office in, uh, on, on Hill Street, and you see that there's, there's a whole package of diamonds you have to, you have to sort, you'll be happy if it was a little smaller, right? You're happy that... Not to, have, not to have such a big packet. So what does that mean when you're counting diamonds you don't get tired? You do get tired. You would rather be much less. The answer is, is that when it's someone else's diamonds you get tired. When it's your diamonds you don't get tired. So they didn't just look at, they didn't just look at Jews as diamonds. They looked at Jews as his own diamonds. And I don't think in history you could look at history and find anyone on, who has anything similar to talk about that's similar to what the Rebbe is, has done and continues to do to reach out with love to Jews all over the world, whether they're in Brentwood or in the Palisades, or they're in the Timbuktu, just to reach out to every Jew and inspire them and connect them. It's, 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 there's, no, there's no parallel for this in history. But not just the quantity, it's also, it's also in the quality, it's also in the approach. There was a Jew who was the Rebbe's emissary to um, Argentina. His name was Beryl Baumgarten al-Bashol. Before he was sent to Argentina, he was a teacher in the main yeshiva, the main central Chabad yeshiva in 770. And he uh, could tell one of the boys, one Shabbat, comes to learn Torah, but he could tell this guy has just, just been smoking, smoking a cigarette. And in this story took place, I think it was in the early 60s, it was unheard of, unheard of. A boy smoking a, a cigarette in the yeshiva, like on Shabbat, impossible. So you didn't know what to do. Like on the one hand, this kid's smoking a cigarette on Shabbat, and maybe he doesn't belong in the yeshiva, maybe it'd be a bad influence on the other students, on the one hand. On the other hand, this kid, his father is such a special man, he's so devoted, to send him out of the yeshiva, be a, you know, his whole family, they didn't know what to do. So he asked the Rebbe what to do. The Rebbe told him to learn Avot Rabbi Natan, chapter 12, Mishnah Gimel, where there the Torah says about Aaron HaKoyim. It says, Aaron it caused many people to stop making mistakes. How so? Aaron when he would see someone making a mistake, he would smile at them, and he would greet them. And the person who made this, these mistakes would say to himself, I am, they would be embarrassed. This guy, this great sadhik is smiling at me and, and shows me such care and such love. If only he would know what I'm doing, he wouldn't give me such love. And therefore they want to be deserving of his love, deserving of his kindness, and, and therefore they would act on a different level. That's what Rebbe wrote to Rebbe Baumgarten. The next Shabbat, this boy has not just been smoking, it's a little more obvious than it usually was. The guy, he, he, he made it more obvious. The boy made it more obvious that he was, had just been smoking. But he had now a direction from the Rebbe. So he greeted him, and he welcomed him, and he hugged him. Years pass, many years pass. This boy married five children, 
and he, com- he comes over to me, Baumgarten, and he says to him, you recognize me? He didn't recognize him. He said, I'm that boy in the yeshiva, and I want to tell you that I was thinking to myself, one more, one more um, cigarette on Shabbat, they'll find out about it, they'll kick me out of the yeshiva, and that's it, I, want, I don't feel connected to what I'm doing anyways. I, I don't want to leave, I wanted to leave the yeshiva. But instead of kicking me out, you showed me such friendship and such love, and I feel like maybe I'm worth something in God's eyes. And, and that's why he um, decided to stay. So on that note, this week's Torah portion, we read about Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, being told by God to bring out water from a stone for all the Jewish people. And as we all probably heard before, when Moses went to the stone, he, instead of talking to the rock, like God said, talk to the rock and ask the rock to bring out his water, Moses hit the rock. And God said, because you hit the rock and didn't sanctify my name by speaking to the rock, therefore you and Aaron will not merit to go to Israel because you didn't sanctify my name. That's a story. But the story leaves us with so many questions. As one commentary says, we see all the details, we understand everything, with all the explanations that are given, we have the meat and we have the spoon and we have the fork, we have no mouth, we have no mouth to eat to understand the story. First of all, Moshe Rabbeinu, how come he's veering from God's commandment? Number one. Number two, why did God tell him on one occasion to hit the rock? As we read in the Torah, Pasha B'Shalach, God told him, hit the rock. Originally, when he first came out of Egypt, hit the rock and the water, and water comes out of the rock. And here God says to speak to the rock. Why does why it change? Number three, What's so bad about hitting the rock? Why does that change the whole destiny of Moshe? I mean, we feel bad hearing the story. Moses wanted so badly to go to Israel because he hit the rock. Some say that the reason Moses hit the rock was because God told him, take your staff with you and go speak to the rock. So naturally, the Rachaim said that he thought he's supposed to hit the rock. God said, bring the staff. What's he supposed to do with the staff? So the whole story doesn't, doesn't make sense. So we'll see that the story is actually not just a story. As Baal Shem Tov says, whenever we read something in the Torah, it's supposed to be, not supposed to be, it is. It's about us here, each of us today. It's a lie. Every Torah is your own story. David, right? It's my own story. It's your story. So, we're, a lot of this Torah is dedicated to leaving Egypt. When we read about leaving Egypt, it's not about just leaving Egypt then. But each of us, opening up our wings and getting out of where we were before and going to where Hashem wants to get to. Most of the world is made up of water. Most of human beings is made up of water. Water is the source of all of life, of growth, of, of uh, when something is flowing with like, the, wa- the streams of the water, it, it indicates life, indicates warmth. So when they're searching for life on other, other planets, how they could tell if there's life on other planets or not, they look, is there water there? If there's no water there, there's no life there. So water represents life. And in life itself, we find that King David says, He calls his thirst for God a thirst for water. Everyone was thirsty to go to water. So when, we say, when it says in the Torah, the Jewish people were thirsty for water, what that means is that they were looking for a connection to Hashem, a selfless connection, without any kind of motives, they wanted something deeper. They wanted a connection to Hashem. They wanted the water. They wanted, as it says, Mashiach will come, the water will be full of the knowledge of God, like water covers the ocean bed. They wanted that water. They wanted, their, they wanted a connection to their inner, deeper self. That's what they wanted. So the question is, how do you get that connection? 
what, what, what's the answer to what they wanted? How can I get to, into to my water? Getting to my water means how can I get to my inner goodness, to my inner beauty, to my majesty, to my soul, to what's going on inside me, that's, that's the way it's meant to be. A lot of us are, uh, have this, asked this question in different ways. I just want to share with you a uh, beautiful sentence, a few sentences of this boy who wanted to commit suicide a few times. And he, and he said something very beautiful. I'm not, I'm not going to convey it correctly, but I'll try anyways. Uh, about his connection to Hashem. He's, it's sort of like a poem. He said to Hashem, They told me to talk to you. Maybe you can tell me who I am. I tried to kill myself many times because I don't know where I belong. But my only dream is that you, Hashem, hold on my hand, hold, hold my hand. And as I stand here and speak to you, Hashem, when I speak to you, I discover who I am. I know I tried to kill myself in the past, but here I am standing before you, holding your hand, and I'm asking you to help me to find my place in your puzzle, what I'm meant to do in this world. And I know that I still have questions, but with all my questions, I know where I belong at the end of the day. And I'm stretching out my hand to hold your hand, Hashem. I'm asking Hashem to hold my hand and please never let go. This is, this is the question that we all have. How do we get to my water? How do I get to my inner goodness, to my beauty? How do I create a pipeline, this whole box of myself to get to my inner neshama, to my soul? So this week in the Torah, we have the answer. There are actually two different ways to get to the water. The first time the Torah says that Moses got to the water, by hitting the rock. And the second time, a little different, speak to the rock. And the rock will, will give its water. What's the difference between these two times? If you look in the Torah, very, the, the slight nuances, differences between these two times. In the first time, the Torah describes the rock as its sur. Its sur means a solid piece of rock. In the second time, the Torah describes the rock as a sela. A sela doesn't just mean a rock. A sela could also mean a composite of many different um, granules of sand that form something harder. And the Torah also, in Moses, God's instruction to Moses is different. In one place, God says, hit the rock and the rock water will come out of the rock. In other place, in this week's Torah portion, God says, speak to the rock and the rock will give its own water. So that means, as Ermarash says, we're talking about two different kinds of rock, two different kinds of people. There are some people which are selahs, some people which are tsurs. Some people which are, are more into the physical, more engrossed in the physical, more obsessed with the physical, and they're selahs. Some people are more watery. Some people ha- have, have more of a connection to the spiritual, and we're into the spiritual, and there are selahs. There's tsurs and there's selahs. There's a hardened people which are involved in the physical, and there are people which are selahs. And whether you're a tsur, whether you're a selah, you have water in you. You have that connection in you. And the most important thing to know is that you have that. It's there. That there's a part of you that's untainted and it's pure and it's innocent and it's holy and it's beautiful. And that's the first step. You know, a lot of times people talk to themselves. You ever talk to yourself, Hanan? No? But you think to yourself, right? You think. All the time. Okay. So when you think to yourself, you say... I don't think to myself, I think with God. Okay. All right, all right. Well, Hanan, have you ever asked this question to yourself? Do I need this? Am I okay? Am I not okay? Now, who is the I that you're talking to? You are I. You're saying, do I need this? Who is the I that you're talking to? It sounds like the two different, different people on you. Is this okay? Am I acting correctly? Am I not acting correctly? Who are you talking to? Am I acting correctly? Who is the I that's acting correctly or not? There's two. You know that you want to ask me questions? <laughs> there's the godly soul. Halan. There's a godly soul and there's an animal soul. 
the, and the animal soul surrounds the godly soul. And we need to dig in order to find the water to purify us. And there are two ways. The clay akar says that when it, he brings a midrash, midrash says that when a child begins to study, the first thing you do is you hit them. That's the words, that I'm not going to explain in a second, that's the words that, that the midrash says. And then they get older, you could talk to them. That's the words of midrash. But it doesn't literally mean to hit them. What it means is, it says in the, in the Talmud, there is no blade of grass in the world that doesn't have a uh, mazal that hits it and says grow. It has a, a mazal that hits it and says to grow. What that means is like this. We all are familiar with the words of the Proverbs of King Solomon. Someone who holds back the rod hates his child. So people think it means, oh, you gotta hit your kid. We look at the end of the verse. The end of the verse is, and the one who loves his child doesn't say he hits him. musar. The one who loves him talks to his child. It doesn't mean you hit him. What it means is, just like a blade of grass has a force in it that makes it grow. You don't see it. It's a mazal. Mazal means it's something which, is, which you can't see and it's influencing them. In order to get anywhere in life, the most important thing is, what's the most important thing? People think it's skill. There was this uh, Olympic gold medalist, he told a friend of mine, that after years and years, he discovered something. He discovered the most important thing is not, is not the skill. skill. A lot of people don't get their goals in life not because they lack motivation. They have motivation. What they lack is the consistency and the discipline to hold on to their goals. That's the number one thing. And you, you get habits from your childhood. Every school in the world has rules. It, it doesn't mean that you tell a child that if you don't do this, you're going to scare the child or you disgrace the child. But in order for a child to be successful in life, or anyone to be successful in life, the first thing is they have to have discipline. That means they have to have a resolve. They're going to do this no matter what. That, that discipline is, allow, is what allows them to grow and to maintain a connection to, to, to their goal. So the idea of being hit, uh, a staff in the Torah, doesn't just mean a staff to hit. There's something called makal noam. You've heard of makal noam, David? Makal noam means a staff of pleasantness. It's possible that in pleasant ways you inspire someone to maintain their discipline and you get them to go a certain path. But the goal is, eventually, as the Torah says, not they should be influenced because of their discipline, because they learned as a child, but they should give their own water. They should reveal their own water. There was a Jew, his name was, his name is, I'm a Jew alive, his name was Rabbi Weinreb. Rabbi Weinreb was 30 years old. He was living in Maryland. And he was having a crisis, many crises, crises actually. One thing was, he in his synagogue was the answer guy. Anyone had any question, they would ask him, because he was a professor in psychology, and he was knowledgeable in Torah. So he was the answer guy. But he had his own questions. Who should he ask his questions to? When you're the answer guy, you can't ask anybody else questions. But he had a lot of questions. Should he develop, go further in his career? Where should he send his kids to school? He had his own questions in faith and, his, and things that he believed in. But he's the answer guy. You can't ask anybody questions when you're the answer guy. It's embarrassing. There was another rabbi he knew, Dr. Burke, who worked for NASA, who was a little bit higher on the pole of, of success than him. He said, I'll ask this guy, Dr. Burke, who's also knowledgeable in Torah, also very religious. Maybe he knows what I'm supposed to do. Dr. Burke says, I'm telling you what you should do. You should go to the rabbi. Go to the rabbi. So he didn't really want to go to the rabbi. You don't want Chabad to even know his phone number, you know, like he has this, this thing, and you're going to go tell them. But he called up the Rebbe, he called the Rebbe's office. In 1971, in February, he calls up the Rebbe's office. The one who answered the phone was Rabbi Kharkov, the Rebbe's secretary. The Rebbe's secretary says, who's talking? 
he didn't want to say who's talking. He planned already, I'm not going to say my name, because he didn't want anybody to know his name. He says, a Jew from Maryland. Rabbi Kharikov says, okay, how can I help you? He tells, starts saying the questions he has. So, so he hears a voice on the other end, and the voice says, speak, tell him he should speak to a wine rep. So the secretary says, um, the Rebbe says that there's a Jew named Wine Reb in Maryland, he should speak to Wine Reb. He says, he heard it. He says, do you understand? He said no. No, he did understand. Because he was just like, shocked. He says, but my name is Wine Reb. So the secretary doesn't know what to do. The secretary is shocked too. Rechalik was also shocked. He's like, he turns to the Rebbe on the phone and he says, his name was Wine Reb. The Rebbe said immediately, if so, he should know that sometimes you need to talk to yourself. <laughs> and Rabbi Weinreb was so touched by this, and he, and, he sp- and, and he basically realized, as we're discussing, that there is the water within. You don't have to go anywhere else, or anywhere else for the water. The water is there. What you do have to do is, you have to talk. to talk to your godly soul. Interesting, Rabbi Weinreb actually eventually visited the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave a dollars on Sunday, as I mentioned before. Comes by the Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, my name is Wine Reb. I'm from Maryland. Rebbe gave him a big smile. <laughs> Anyways, the point is that we have the water. And the question is how to reach it. So when you're a Selah, when you're not so hard, not so hard and more connected to the spiritual, then, the, then you're able to reach a higher level. When the Jewish people left Egypt, they were in a low level. They were, they were traumatized by their experience in Egypt. They couldn't believe they'd ever, ever get out of, 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 of Egypt. And even after they left Egypt, they had the slave mentality. And they didn't believe they had anything good in them. When you tell a child there's a problem with violence or whatever, don't hit, don't stop hitting. It's not going to work. You need something more. You need something stronger. That's what the Torah says. In the original Jewish people got out of Egypt. God told Moshe Rabbeinu, hit the rock. Hit the rock means it doesn't, matter. It doesn't have to come within. It doesn't have, you don't have to bring out their own water. Just get them to do the right thing. Influence them, inspire them, do the right thing. Doesn't have to come from within. Doesn't mean to hit literally, of course. It means find outside ways to get them to resolve, do the right thing. But after forty years in the desert, the Torah says, Hashem says to us, "I have given you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to know." After forty years, then it's where we have already transformed from being just a tzur to becoming a salah. Instead of being someone who needs to be influenced from the outside, right? We've cultivated a relationship with Hashem. The word salah has three letters. Samach, Lamed, and Ayin. The letter Samach, to create the word letter Samach, Samach itself has three letters. To spell Samach is Samach Memcha. Is that what I'm saying? Samach is Samach Memcha. Samach is Samach Memcha. That's what Samach Memcha. Lamed is Lamed Memdalet. Ayin is Ayin Yudnun. So if you take the three letters of the middle letters of Sela, you get, up, you get Mayim, Mem Yud Mem Water. Within the cell, there is the water. So Hashem is telling us that now is a time to talk to the rock. Now is a time where you don't have to look for outside influences. It's, if a Jew is just doing things mechanically, and he doesn't feel any connection to what he's doing, to any connection to the, to the Torah that he's learning, and the mitzvahs that he's doing, there's a problem. There's a problem. Hashem says, now it's time, as it says in Midrash, you don't need to be hit anymore. The child, when he grows older, you speak to him, and he'll give his water. So that's, the reason why Hashem told us to, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu was told to speak to us. So why did Moshe interpret not differently what Hashem said? How come he didn't get it right and he, didn't, he decided to use the staff instead? So some say that Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid that if he did speak to us and we didn't listen, 
that would bring a great um, consequence to us. Because here we are up to, we're supposed to be at a certain level and we're ignoring. And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu chose to go away from Hashem's commandment in order that we shouldn't be culpable for, for not listening. In other words, he didn't want to give the message to us in a way that we would... That, that's how some explain. Therefore, he specifically used the staff and not, not his words. That's, that's how some explain. But the bottom line is that uh, we have to realize that we have the water in ourselves and we meet other people, you know, the Jews, and you may, you may think this person has no connection at all to, to Judaism. There's no, conne- there's no water there. We have to look at ourselves differently and believe in the water in ourselves and believe in the water in other, uh, water in other Jews, not look at their exterior. And uh, if we look for it, Get ready for Mashiach. Mashiach comes, it's all going to come out. Let's get ready. L'chaim, l'chaim, bracha. Any questions, comments, criticism, tomatoes? Oh.